Book Club members. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 34, and our books, plural, are Afrael Stern, The Heretic Saint, and Demonifuge. One, the previous by Dan and Annandale, David Annandale, and the latter by various authors. Yeah, that's a good way we, to put it. Various. The books, right. The books are about the, well, I guess the adventures or misadventures of Afrael Stern, a former sister of battle and now a question mark, question mark, question mark. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, the site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read either of these books, and that's probably going to be most of you since the first book is only available via the collector's edition right now, sorry, come back and check this out once the book releases more widely, as we're going to be discussing this book from start to finish in great detail. So with that, let's dive in. First off, did you like the book and or the comic? Um, the comic had potential. I mean, it, it had so much that I would like it if it ever finished a story. That's, and yes, I mean, like, yes, is it is it dated looking? Absolutely. But you know, I don't, but art in so many ways, you make it as dated as you want and art hmm. will stand up. Like I, I can even look at like, oh, yeah. the silver age of comics, like, oh, that's totally from the silver age, but damn, look at how well this and this and this are drawn, you know? Right. So the, I have no problems with the art other than some scenes creeping me the fuck out. I, I uh, had a feeling that was going to be a thing for you. Yeah. But I mean, Again, it's like, I found it fascinating. I found her mm -hmm. background history just absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I'm so glad I read it before I read the book, because otherwise when she would have talked about, you know, the cage of faces, I'm like, I have no idea what, what you're talking about. And that's right. really, really huge. It's a major part in the, in the entire comic, because they mention it a lot. But again... I actually really liked that point. I really liked how much the book... So... At first, when they said that they were releasing them together, my first thought was, oh, okay, that's cool, but kind of gimmicky. But no, I did like the fact that they made it relevant and that the book, the comic gets referenced so often in the book because then there was, there was a reason, a pressing reason to actually read the comic and not just be like, oh, huh, cool, I've got the comic now. Now, just, it's just very unfortunate that you can tell that they were trying to build up the comic to do something that never happened. Either either the story was supposed to get told in a codex or this series was supposed to continue. I don't know, but it just kind of feels like they just dropped the mic halfway through the sentence and walked away. And you're like, well, that's not dropping the mic moment. Like, we still don't know what, what you're talking about and what's going to happen. Right. I agree with that 100%. And so I think we had said before we read this, and I reread it, obviously, as part of this, but I had originally read the comic, God, so long ago, more than 10 years ago. And I remembered not loving it and thinking it was kind of weird, but I couldn't really remember why. And as I was reading the comic, I had the same thing. Where it's like when somebody starts mid-sentence and then they just kind of trail off. Right. Or... It reminded me of, like, if you watched a show 
but you stopped every show at the like the halfway mark. And then you went to the next episode and you're like, wait, what happened? Like, I'm confused. Um, having said that, so at the comic, I feel as though I was more forgiving to the comic. I, God, I feel like almost all those criticisms could also be leveled at the book. Good concepts. I liked that. It, the execution I didn't love. Um, so... So I finished the book today because that's how timely I am. Actually, just like literally like an hour and a half ago. But about that. Yeah. Um, so I think once again, this book was made to build up to something. And I did some research after finished reading it because uh, and reading Annandale's uh, afterward. He referenced something. I was like, well, what is that? And I looked it up. So this is definitely a lead up to something big. Maybe I'm glad that they didn't dive into it yet. You know, this is kind of like you know, the prelude before this other storm that is coming. Right. But I mean, I liked it. It's hard for me to say that I would recommend this book just because you have to read the comic. As well as like, I would have been so lost in this book, especially like you know near the end with like, well, Ariman's still looking for you. I'd be like, what the hell? What? Why was he looking for her? That doesn't make any sense. You know what? No, the because she's going to the Black Library. That's like his only life goal. But you know, without the comic, you wouldn't have really known. Yes, they mentioned you wouldn't have known that they had run in together, right? But you, I mean, they mentioned you know going back to you know continuing their quest to look for the Black Library, but at the same time, you don't know why she wants to go so badly. Like, it's, like, very, very important, and she ref- you know, she mentions the cage of faces and how that's important to why she wants to go to where it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, she never once says what the knowledge she has is. Like, and it's, you kind of expected to know that already about right. her Whether you read the comic or you read a summary, that stuff's all kind of had to know i mean at least the book is not very thick it's not very not very long so it's very easy to read to read both uh just i guess it's just going to depend on how much you really enjoy reading the extended universe i suppose and honestly with the way this book ended i'm really curious where it's going to go especially with what uh the direction that warhammer 40k is going right now yeah, I would agree. I think I think my complaint that I have about the book is that it felt to me as though this was almost more like a rough draft of the book, like an outline of it. I felt as though there were more book outside of it. So like conversations, everything in it moved very fast, right? Um, Kaiganel is a good example of where they go and they talk to... Robbie G's big titty elder girlfriend whose name just totally escaped me. Evrain. Evrain. I was like, nah. anyways, Evrain, they go and talk to her and she's like, oh, you need to go and look for these, this one person. And they leave the webway and he's like, all right, peace, I'm out. And she's like, yep, later. And same thing kind of with the Inquisitor. He's sitting there and all of a sudden he's like, oh, I can't control that. Peace, I'm out. It, everything moved really 
quickly. And I always, I almost felt in a few scenes, I felt as though there was a conversation or something that happened off stage that we didn't get to see. And that I think I would have liked to have kind of colored it in a little bit. And to your point, like with the knowledge, what is the knowledge? I, and we're going to talk a lot more about Dagover in a bit, but Dagover was another guy that I was like, I feel as though half of his story is missing. Now, well, to your point. It is. It's in a short story that Annandale wrote. Right. But, I mean, how do I say this? Why he's in the Nihilus? Yes, but not just, not, 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 not that actually um and maybe that short story i also discovered i was like oh that is a short i didn't realize that he was another short story i have not read it yet his whole end we'll talk more about that in a minute the short story by the way people is very good it's a death watch short story and dagover oh dagover's not a good person i could have told you that i mean yeah we'll talk more about him in a minute but i think for me I think also to your point, it, this does feel like a lead up. This almost feels like, um, this almost feels like a prequel to the real story. That there's this other story out there that Annandale is just waiting to tell. And he's like, okay, here's all the stuff that you need to know about all of these characters before you dive into this story. So it almost felt like that to me, more like a Wikipedia article than a book. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I didn't really see his Wikipedia article. I mean, um, I could see where, where, where you're saying that because it's really kind of hard to really define a plot, especially because the big bad were like, they were like Ariman in the comic. They were there and then they weren't. The only difference is that she actually, you know, took care of them versus Ariman just exited stage left, like just kind of hopped out of the corner, like a cane came out and just yanked him back. Well, and jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Theater humor. Mm. Um, the the thing about it to me was that in the comics, at least with Araman, they were like that whole scene to me felt like him jumping in and being like, Did somebody say the black library? <laughs> I had him out. And then he left. Like 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 you couldn't mention the black library without him showing up. And then he just like he's the back uh, out. like he's the Groucho Marx duck. He said the secret word and the ducks come down. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or like Pee-wee's Playhouse where everything freaks out because you mentioned the word and then goes back to normal. Um, hey, Black Library? Ariman appears. <laughs> exactly. He's just like, did somebody say Black Library? Everybody, the audience laughs, yeah. they clap, they cheer. He does jazz hands. And, and then he just kind of like, dun 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 yep. dun 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 off. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I kind of felt that way in the comic. So let's talk really quickly about that. So the comic was written in the early aughts, I believe, originally. Do you think it aged well? And I mean, I don't necessarily, well, I kind of mean about themes and art, but mostly I mean compared to today's Warhammer 40k. Uh, Yes. Yes. I mean, the only problem I had with the comic, and I know that I talked about it with you, and it was that whoever was kind of did the layouts with, the dialogue did not map that very well because it was very hard to tell who was saying what and I would get to a point I was like wait why is he saying that oh no it's this other person like I had to go back and read it because it just didn't I mean it don't say that I didn't get it because 
I have read a manga, okay? I know how to find the, the weirdest of ass flows of things, right. okay? Yes, you can say, oh, well, manga, you read it from, from, uh, from right to left. The way that you worded that was the weirdest ass flows? Yes, weirdest ass As flows. As opposed to the weirdest ass? It sounded like flow, ass was modifying flow instead of weirdest ass. Anyways, it made me laugh. My thirteen, my inner 13-year-old boy is giggling right now. I was it making up for the joke earlier today. Anyway. I so uh, dumb. Hey, I didn't get it either. Um, regardless, you can say, oh, the manga, you read it from right to left. That is true. Right. But it still will just bounce around. You're like, oh, wait, it goes here and then it goes here. Okay, wait. No, no, I reread that wrong. One style and stuck with it. Right. Because that was what, to your point, like, yeah, it would be like, oh, well, oh, right. Okay, this is a like, if you're going to choose your own adventure, where you put your text blocks. Well, actually, okay. If you're going to choose your own adventure, where you put your text blocks. For the love of God, make the characters very clear who, that they're different people and who's talking. Because actually, you know, that's, yeah. okay, you saying that, that reminds me, like, DC Comics has actually gotten very good because there's so many crossovers and different characters that with the bubbles and you don't know who's talking about, they actually either have them in a different font or a different color. Yes. And they did have that with some of the characters in here where they had a different font, but then I was like, but it's like, there's no question who's talking in those panels. So, yes, these take, I would say going forward, if they decide to do more comic books, take a hint, like just take a note mm -hmm. from DC and Marvel because they do handle that very well with the colors. And actually, you know who else does that really well? I've noticed, especially as of late, is Penny Arcade. Yeah. Gabe is always... Let's see, Gabe's always yellow and Tycho's always blue. blue. Uh huh. Smart, smart, smart. Right. So when they have a conversation and you don't see them, you only a conversation back and forth, but you see only one of the panels, you know exactly who's yes. talking. Yeah, and I think it was just it was the Inquisitor and his entourage. Mm -hmm. That was the problem. God, especially his entourage. They were so creepy. They were so creepy, and some of the things that he said, I was just like. That was another, okay. So I think we both talked about this that there were a few pages where, like, I would get to the end of the page and be like, Oh, I think I read this in wrong order, or I misunderstood who was talking. And so I would go back and reread the page, and then, Oh, okay, great. Because typically, and I might be alone in this with comics, but I don't, I'm not very good at opening up a comic book, looking at the entire page, and then just, I don't want to have to decipher how to read the thing. I just start. Right. going and then sometimes your flow goes like this and okay that's fine I can pick it up pretty easily but yeah make it a little clearer that was really like the only complaint that I, that and I felt like there was no real endings <laughs> but true I you know what I'm a little surprised actually when I went back to read it because again I hadn't read it in so long I went in thinking oh man this is going to be some antiquated stuff like this is not going to be yeah. how like, this is not going to be how we treat the Adeptus Sororitas anymore, but nope. It actually fit quite nicely into 2020. I was very surprised, which I think is actually a testament to the original authors. That oh, yeah. They did oh, a good job. 100%. Like, it, it did not feel like it might have had some outdated, I guess, values or, or whatever. It just, it fit very well. It's like, oh, here's the Inquisitors. Look, they're assholes. <laughs> they're disgusting. Although I was everyone. Although I was sad that the Grey Knights had to be killed too, because they were following asshole orders. But you know, 
actually today, by the way, if you want something interesting on that, um, the Black Library podcast did an interview with ADB, the Dark Star, and he has a really fun, they ask him about uh, Spear of the Emperor, and he has an interesting thing about Amadeus along those lines. So, fun thing to listen to. Um, so let me ask you this. How does comic book Stern compare to book Stern? Um, I think actually that Annandale does a really good job of picking it up like he was writing her all along. I, that's a talent, people. It's, it, it, is it is so hard. You might think it's super easy just to kind of slide in to like writing a TV show or whatever. It's really not because you always have your own take on things, whether you believe that you do or not. That's why it's actually right. so many actors. Like, for example, they're playing like a young version of a like the, I'll just take Indiana Jones, like the young indie TV show. That kid watched so much of Harrison Ford, watched the movie over and over again right. so he could get the mannerisms down. It was, mm-hmm. it was the same thing with um, uh, the kid in, uh, who played young Indiana Jones in uh, the, uh, the Last Crusade. I can't remember his name, but I just know, I just know that he's dead. Oh, River Phoenix. River Phoenix. I thought there was a phoenix in there. Um, but the you know, same thing with him. He did the same thing because it's so hard because you want to always, always bring your take on a character. You want to write them, make them your own. And I just, it just makes my heart beyond happy when someone's able to just kind of slide on in there, like they've and it always been a part like of the it. same character, right? Um, I always think of Robert De Niro in The Godfather Part Two playing young Marlon Brando as Don Corleone. I always think of him just. It's so nice when you see somebody act a character and you're like, oh, I totally see how young you became old you now, right? Um. And with books, it's very similar. And I think comic books, I know that the book wasn't a comic book, but comic books can be very notorious for this, where one person's version of a character is not the other person's version of a character. See um, also Captain America in the last, like, ten years. Yes. Yes. And I actually point really to Swamp Thing. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I'm a big Swamp Thing fan. Right. Uh, But no, but I I know what you're referring to from when Scott Snyder took over to when he lost control of it. Yeah. Yes. And Swamp Thing turns on a dime. So, yeah, it was really nice to see this. I was actually very impressed, too. Oh, wow. This is this is the same character, which is what you want. Right. It was so nice to see. But so this character, I mean, they really they did a bunch with her in the early aughts and they really haven't touched her or talked about her really and then now this big to do about bringing her into the 42nd millennium why do you think it was so important like what do you think she brings to this new universe uh honestly i think the reason why she hasn't been touched in so long is because i think the comic didn't sell very well back in the day and even though that was just in the early aughts it's like barely 20 years ago women protagonists did not sell it's it's a fact it's just it's so crazy for me to say like oh it's just in the early aughts that's not too long ago but it's true like it they they, they didn't sell you can look at they, at, at every medium for that it's 100 they true. still they still statistically and trend wise don't sell yeah it's just it's it is just a simple fact if you don't believe me 
go back and read the original reasoning about why they had Samus become a girl at the very end of Metroid. Yes. There is a wonderful, wonderful interview slash story about that. And yeah, yeah. go read the thing. Yeah. Um, so, there's also a reason why so many female characters, major female protagonists, Laura <laughs> Croft, for example, her defining characteristic was her big tracts of land. Because that was, that was how, that was literally how they were able to get the game to sell. It's sad. It's true. But I think, so I think the comic did not sell very well. And so they were mm -hmm. like, well, I don't know if they were like, no one cares about a female character, but they were like, maybe nobody cares about a frail star. I think it has to be the latter because I have always argued that Warhammer 40k is one of the most traditionally feminist universes because again, you are all to use your favorite phrase, you are all just meat. You are soldiers and bodies that get thrown at the enemy. So it doesn't matter who or what you are. No, can you pick up a you're gun? You're a soldier. Pretty much. Can you shoot? Do you know how to point at and that so way and fire? <laughs> all right, you're in. And yeah. so many of the Warhammer 40k books feature prominent female characters or female protagonists. I look at, I think it's actually right over here. I look at Double Eagle. Double Eagle female protagonist it is and it's been for a while right so i i don't know well i mean i could even point to one other one back there so i thought i thought you're pointing to the uh, space marine even though yes. there wasn't a lead female who was it who took over when they were overrun it was not a man it was a woman and she was bad ass the entire uh, uh, time that's because she was cadian Okay. And they are all badasses. Okay. Fair. Fair. Up until the point where their 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 planet broke. Um. Anyway, so going back to the original point, people didn't care. They felt like they got the message that either people didn't care about they they didn't care about this character. Whatever it was, they didn't care about it. So they just kinda kinda let it go. Fast forward twenty years, we are seeing this resurgence in people being interested again in the Adeptus Sororitas. We have seen yes so many books about them they're even republishing james swallow's original omnibus about their yes. adeptus sororitas which is crazy it's good but it's it just is. crazy um you know there's been a, a brand new book about saint celestine so i have a feeling that someone and it might have been david annadale himself i don't know i don't think so not according to his, his afterward but there's like you know what if this might be the perfect time for Ephrael Stern to kind of reappear since we've already established an interesting alliance with the Eldar. Right. And we have this other buildup coming on with the nothing. Although as mm -hmm. Annandale and his afterwards said exactly what the nothing was. And that's when I went and looked it up and I was like, oh, okay. It's the Necrons basically. Uh, my first thought, so first off, every time she said nothing, I heard the never-ending story theme song okay, in my so head. If everyone and I was waiting for Gamork. Everyone looks down at my variable line. It says Saint Atreyu. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly I why I picked make, it. For my variable line, I wanted to make it something with Gamork, but I was like, oh, I might be a little too, like, just a little too on the nose. But I like Saint Atreyu. That's lovely. Mm. Um, I kept hearing that, but I actually at first thought it was the Tyranids. 
because we know that they have a little oh, psychic yeah. disturbance and they pretty much kill everything in their wake. So when we were reading it, my husband and I both were like, oh, this is going to be the Nids. But moving into Indomitus, of course, with our shiny Necron. <laughs> Necrons. Also totally Marines. makes sense. I will talk more about that later. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense that it was going to be the Necrons. Yeah. But I think, to your point about the Adeptus, Adeptus Aurorotus, there's also this kind of resurgence of the saints. And I know that that kind of goes hand in hand with the Adeptus Aurorotus, but we had right. the Saint Celestine book, which is lovely. We had Mark of Faith, which was a character who potentially a saint. And then mm. now we have a frail Stern, right? Question mark, question mark. But I think you also have question mark, question mark for this one, whether Stern is a saint. And we'll talk more about that as well. But there seems to be this, they seem to be moving toward this more of this idea of what the saints are, who they are, whether or not they are or are not imbued by the emperor. St. Celestine, there's really no question, but, you know, I'm going to go back to my theory. This is the, this is the uh, skee-ball emperor who's in a coma just going, dear God, let me out. So, you men are not listening to me, so I'm going to go to the women who get shit done. Bitches get shit done. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> well, yes. And so that's actually a really good bridge to my next point here, which was, what was Dagover's endgame, do you think? Oh, it's what any Inquisitor's endgame is. He wanted to... Con he, I mean, he talked about it. He even pretty much said it to her, but... Near the end, he just is like, oh, I can't control this. Well, Inquisitors can't handle what they can't control. That's true. He was, was, he was first of all, he used her to get back on the other side of the room. Yeah. Whether, whether that yeah. was intentional or not, he did use her for that. Now he's on the inside. He can go to run, make his little reports. Um, and most likely, I have a feeling that he was planning on bringing her back to Terra with you know pomp and circumstance like look at this weapon i found for all of us to have or you know when he heard when he hears that gulliman is back from the dead like oh, i can bring her to him i don't know how he would handle her i think that's right fascinating especially his take on the whole saints idea but um i think he was looking for some sort of inner glory because he felt like everything else had been a failure since he was on the other side of the rift and he even said, when he realized he couldn't control her, he was like, he was so embarrassed of his failure that he wasn't able to harness her power. Right. And and if you read Vorego Fastness, you know he likes to control powerful things that he can't. Yes. So, yes, I think that was all definitely part of his character, and that definitely made sense. But the thing that gave me pause was when he talks about how he didn't want to call her a saint. He wanted everybody else to kind of suss out that she was she was a saint. And then and he's like, okay, cool. Ooh, now they think she's a saint. Well, then later when she destroys that walking fortress, he's like, oh shit, maybe she is a saint. That's not good. Well, so, he even talks about when she's like, yells at him. She's like, I am not a saint. And he's immediately thinks he's like oh but only a saint would a true saint would deny her sanctity and it's like well that's just throwing it right back to the horse heresy that's like dan abnett's words right there yes oh 
totally. But I guess the thing that I come back to is why was it important for him to because on one hand, yeah, she's a weapon. She's totally just a weapon. She's living warp energy. This could be something useful. But he needed people to believe she was a saint. And I, and then once he realizes that, oh, shit, maybe she is, he's like, no, no, I want no part of this now. So well, because obviously he doesn't want to. Nobody wants to be the guy who killed the saint. Right. But I think it's also he wanted everyone to believe that she was a saint so that he can bring her back without people calling for his head for dealing with a heretic. I think that was fair. Very two, twofold. But when he realizes, oh my God, she's a saint, that's one, that, that actually becomes like, oh my God, now I can't, not only can I not control her, but I can't kill her. Because you just, you can't be the guy that kills a saint. Even though I'm not, I'm one was warning like how much to Saint Celestine that she is, if you even can kill her. Well, so, Oh my gosh. So let's just jump, let's jump ahead a question and talk a little bit about that then. Cause this kind of blends well into this. What is she? Member of rain looks at her and is like, Oh, you don't know what you are. And the, but um, of course I'm not going to tell you. Well, right. Because you know, that's what the elder, which also brings me to the other question was what game are the Eldari playing here with Stern? Um, but and remember, that was the big thing with the word bearers, is they're looking at her like, what are you? You're not human. A saint, we know that St. Celestine can be killed, or at least her body can be killed. Her spirit comes back, but you can temporarily kill her. Stern susses out that the word bearers tried to kill her, it's just not very successfully. That kind of made me giggle. Yeah, I liked that when she was like, Oh, oh, you tried this, didn't you? <laughs> it did not go well, did it? It did not go well. There's a reason I'm now imprisoned inside of a building. Well, so the Eldari. All right, so I'll just, I'll go to the Eldari first. Uh, the Eldari. And the Eldari are all, they are all about. I don't believe they want a true alliance with humans. I think the Eldari, they want to survive. That's basically their big right. Thing. They don't mind kind of helping mankind when it helps them. Uh, you know, considering that the main Eldar that brought Reboot back, he was, he's part of the Cabal. Uh, I forget his name. He was in, uh, anyway, he was in Legion mm -hmm. uh, talking to Alpharius, but he, um, it's not Gul'dan, but it's something no, like that. No, it's, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure uh, Skywalker or Skywatcher Adept will be like, uh, it's this. You read the short story. Yes, yes, I did. But there's a lot of <laughs> yes, names, man. Did. There's a lot of names. Um, that was that was 100 percent to help them survive. I don't think they do anything that's yeah. not going to benefit them. And the end, we even saw it in the last hunt with the Eldar coming in. Right. And they're like, and it was 100, they, yes, they were helping the humans, but it's because it also benefited them. I have to tell you, though, that whole scene where they're talking to her, all the time I just imagined her just, like, looking at her nails. Just, right. I just don't have time for you. I've already oh, helped right. your race. Like, what more do like, you I want? I brought back Reboot Gulliman. We're totally going steady. What do you want? <laughs> like, no, there is, a, there is a big part of that, right, where she's they very much look at us like children. Oh, yeah. Almost, right? And 
So us I mean, little monkey. Exactly. They call us monkeys, like monkey. Like we're we're just like a lower form of them, right? And so they Yeah. It, she seemed very bored with the conversation, but like found it sort of novel, right? Like, oh, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? And the fact that she immediately is like, Oh, Kaiganil, you should uh you should go look out some of the Harlequins because this strikes me as their type of fuckery. <laughs> and we know that the Harlequins, their other whole thing is based off of, well, we had a vision of something that might happen and we should make that happen. But like after reading the fabulous bill books, I don't really get an impression that they really know what they're doing. They're just kind of guessing. I think it also depends on the troop. Oh, very much so. Very much. So there are some that are definitely moving toward a very specific end. Um, and since uh, Kaigano, I don't know which I, these guys are. Well, you know, he does because you never know what troop he is. He, you just know that nope. he's uh, from one, a disgraced right. Harlequin. But I mean, I be actually believe he has good intentions. He believes his fate is tied to hers, and so he's going to do everything he can to protect her and make sure that she fulfills her destiny. I don't think there's any other hidden motive there about, you know, enhancing his race or whatever. He just feels like he's there to help her. Um, right. And I think he's definitely one of the troop. I mean, he's clearly one of the troop that either protects or obfuscates the Black Library because he knows how to get there. Or that's the implication. And I did really like that when she's talking with Dagover and she's like, I have the combined knowledge of 700 of my sisters. Like, it's so much knowledge about chaos. And he's like, well, you should share with us. And she's like, like yeah, uh, no, no. going in the black library. Which nobody can access except for very specific people. So... They, the elves are weird, man. I just love the fact that he's a Xenos, you know, he's in the Xenos Ordo, and it's just killing him that she doesn't want to share it with humans. I was like, dude... Yeah. I'd be disappointed in her if she did share it with any Inquisitor. Well, cause she because knows you guys are going to use it for good. Well, it's not just that. She knows that they would take all of it, and then immediately they would be like, uh, delete that, change that. Uh, this is only, like, we could only let, like, two people know about this. Somebody else should investigate this, and just the rest of it's uh, classified and redacted. So... You know, like how much, and that's only, and that's if it gets to a good inquisitor. That's if it gets to a good inquisitor, right? Yeah, like at that point, I guess actually that does kind of make it even make more sense that it should go to the black library because it's not going to do anyone good in the black library. But really, is it going to do anybody good in the hands of the Inquisition? Mm. Well, you know, and if anybody should have the full record of how to defeat Slanesh, kind of should be the Eldar. Okay, valid. <laughs> <laughs> just saying y'all I know a lot about Slanesh y'all should know about this yeah pretty much yeah okay when you say it like that um but again they're probably just as bad as the Inquisitors like only the wee Harlequins know about this so we can play games with people now um well, I don't know why she just did, she, so she should have just given it to so Evraine Evraine or I mean sure that Whoever that guy is that I can't remember his name, I'm sure he can get to the Black Library. So, here's the other thing. Uh, just finishing out the Dagover conversation, was he ultimately important to the plot, did you think? I don't know. I really don't. That's a real hard one. 
And especially uh, when I'm reading the afterword where he's talking about how he's always wanted to write about Dagover again. I was like, okay, so you just shoehorned this guy in there. Just kind of jammed him on in there. Because you wanted to write about him. Like, I don't feel like he really served I any had, other purpose. It, I had the same reaction when I read the, but, when I read the afterward. Now that I say that out loud, I'm also thinking that he did have a part to play. Because he had a part to play to show that the Inquisition is just the Inquisition. Yes, he was coming to her that he's going to help her and he's going to, you know, reunite her with her sisters and get this all back and everything is going to be great. But as soon as he realized if he stayed with her, he would no longer be in control. Yes. He's out. Then all of a sudden it was uh, not so much. Now it was uh, less, less intriguing to him. So yes, I do think... Which to me goes back to what we had just read with John French, the problem right. with the Inquisitors. Yeah. Well, actually, the one thing that I thought, of, the one thing I thought that was kind of interesting about it was that she's accustomed to Inquisitors wanting to kill her on sight, declaring her heretic. But I, I think you're right. I think it was kind of a nice moment for him to be like, no, 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 no. I totally understand. I totally am just, I'm on your side and I want to help you. But I'm also clearly a raging asshole. So, like, and I really, though, really want to kill your friend right now. Like, this is like killing me I to am not kill him. Barely not killing this person, but also- just I'd like to see idea. him try. Again, my, one of my favorite moments in a movie is from Dark Knight with uh, Morgan Freeman. Good luck. <laughs> right? <laughs> Good luck. Um, yeah. Good luck, buddy. You could definitely try. Um, yeah, pretty much. I There was a lot of interesting stuff about Dagover. And I think the afterword really made me understand him a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Because... There was an interesting scene that happened in there and I was really hoping they were going to pay it off and he, and he didn't. Do you remember his creepy ass servitor? Oh, right. Who'd suddenly like responded to something that he and he told him Does to be it silent. or something like that. And yeah. he was like, whoa. And it didn't follow. The so knowing what I have now seen from Josh Reynolds uh, Tumblr Mm -hmm. I am fairly certain this book also got edited down because they're like, dude, we're trying to get this with the comic to wrap it up. I think you were correct. That, see, that goes back to my original statement, though, that I think there was more book. Probably. I don't know if he just had to wrap it up because they were in a hurry and because David Annandale is... We don't talk very much about David Annandale because we don't read as much Warhammer fantasy. And David... or. And I'm the only one who reads Warhammer Horror. David Annandale is currently like the Gee Haley of the fantasy and horror. Um, that's our new name for Guy Haley, by the way, because I was going to try and make a Guy LaDouche reference and it didn't quite work out because I, I like Guy Haley too. Anyways, he's now Guy Haley. He is Guy Haley. It him. is Graham McNeil approved. <laughs> yeah, it is Graham McNeil approved. So, so we may be made guy uh, French, so it's now Guy. <laughs> exactly. So he's Guy Haley. Anyways, David Annandale is like the Guy Haley of the fantasy world. I swear to God, I feel like every other week they're like, here's a new fantasy book. 
from David Annandale. Dude, the guy must be chained to his desk. It's him um, and uh, Andy Clark. Yes. I was yes. like, dude, you guys need to write more 40K. I miss you guys. Come back. Yes, please come back. And David, we'll let you write about orcs again. Like, please come. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Real quick book recommendation. If you have not read the Thraka series with uh, Commissar Yarick, go do the thing. Um, but there are signs. I mean, there's there's so much in here that is the David Annandale that we know and we love. But there's also just a lot of like where it feels as though he were rushed. So I do wonder if maybe that they were like, oh, we need a book. No, no, we meant like in two months. Can you do the thing? <laughs> like, and we needed about 100,000 words less. Can you do that too? Right. Could you just cut like all of this? Um, Dagover was one where I got to the end of the book. And as soon as... It was actually that scene where he's like, oh, I can't control her. Peace out. Wait, but what? what's going on with all the other stuff? Like, what about your servitor? And what about your okay. weirdness? But, you know, with Annadale saying he's wanted to write about him again. Now he's back on the, uh, you know, the, what was it? The Imperium Sanctum is what they called it. Imperium Sanctus. He can write about him again, so we can find out more That's about his creepy-ass servitor, and if he gets another Death Watch team, he shouldn't. Yeah. Right. So that's, I guess that's, I guess that was probably the point of him, was that he was the literal hitchhiker, both, but I mean, like, in the story itself, and as part of Ephrael Stern's story, he was just a hitchhiker. He was coming along for the ride. Um, so let's go back to what we think darn is uh, you know it's such a hard question because like the whole it time is. the whole time like in this book because you know they keep feeling like they have to unravel like what she mm -hmm. is and we have the word bearers man I love the word bearers I have a real sick twisted relationship with them but just the fact that they try so hard so hard, so hard. it's just it's comical to me and, and i loved it when she threw it right back at him she's like you're trying this hard because you doubt and right then he cracked which is all that a saint needed this is for that you know seed of doubt but you know i could start quoting the bible here for you guys but i'm not going to do that but man the fact that you know she's been reborn Mm -hmm. twice now which is all in the comics those two times that that, right. that, that she was she was reborn She's definitely some warp something. But, you know, I almost wonder, you know, the whole time they kept saying, but what are you? Or you don't know what you are? Made me think of the Horusian Wars with that shipmaster. And the whole time when that psyker is just like, oh, my oh. God, what are you? It's yes, some sort fresh. of. Well, remember, what's her face? She, the. The, psyker. the ginger, the ginger psyker, yes, is like um, when she says she's like, I did not realize what you were soon enough, right? And then she, right. and then, but she becomes so powerful. She goes, "What are you?" Like it's just kind of skins it. And I'm wondering if it's one of those moments where it was like a saint-like moment. And I'm actually wondering if the reason, again, another female, if the reason why it becomes the you know battle sisters is because they're the only ones with the fortitude that can handle this burden or this power 
been is she's almost so she is like that could be lightning kind of like uh kind of like in guardians of the galaxy when they talk about the beings that controlled the infinity stones yes yes just can't escape marvel on this podcast um <laughs> when they talked about that right and when um what's his face when peter was able to yes. hold that infinity stone he, and they're like whoa right because he they found he was half celestial what did you find out later anyway the point is all right so she's definitely i almost want to say she's because i think the eldar they, they you know with her saying you don't know what you are do you and I think they would have a hard time admitting that this was some emperor hold on this. But you know, if you believe that the emperor is the other coin to the gods, that's a lot of power for one being to have. Right. And as if you want to believe that she is a saint and therefore it is part of his will, then obviously she is part of that warp energy. And it goes back to kind of going back and forth with the whole thing with the warp energy is like, is it good or is it evil? Well, it's all a matter in how you use it. Going back to Dragon Age, here, now we're going Bioware. We gotta bring them up. Okay. Back to Dragon Age with the whole thing that, what you know, cause you and I went to that panel for Dragon Age Inquisition. And one thing that he yes. said that was just phenomenal was that he said the whole purpose whole point of the Dragon Age series is that magic is dangerous. And people are flawed. And people are flawed. That was just, oh my god, I just got chills just now. But it's so true though. And it's all things like the warp is dangerous and people are flawed. But what happens when a good person becomes totally infected with warp energy? And that's I almost subscribe to the theory, and I, I don't remember where I read this, but it was many, many years ago. And I kind of, it was one of those theories where they talked about how, um, oh, actually, I wanted to grab the comic because I think it's a better illustration of it. There's a bunch of things here that are weird about a frail stern. So, first off, the lightning, it's very, it's it's straight up Emperor Palpatine. It, it is <laughs> wicked chaos looking lightning right it is not right. a good thing and they talk about they so that's that's part of that right and she talks about how she has all of this power and energy inside of her and she feels confident that it's the warp so to your point i almost wonder and this is one of the theories that i read is if she is this warp entity chaos's answer to the saints but they chose the wrong vessel because she's, as you said, she's an Adeptus Sororitas, and her faith is so unflappable and so unshakable, asterisk, that she can't be corrupted that way. But on the other hand, there was a scene in the book that, God, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I mean, it was a very effective writing from David Annadale. I don't know if he intended it for it to do this, but it really rubbed me the wrong way, is when she's talking about how she does no longer feels his guidance and she no longer feels his will no it's because she is his will and she starts owning that sainthood right where she's like no no i am his will i am his voice i am these things and on one hand it was her really i thought you could construe it as her coming into that sainthood but there was an 
arrogance and a hubris to it that it directly like when you compare her to saint celestine that that was the part where i was like oh honey honey no (laughs) you are not you might be doing some good things now but oh pumpkin so i had a hard time with that too um think for a different reason that you did because you know if i'm i i have a hard time separating the emperor from god i guess in a way as i keep making the ski ball jokes i but that's kind of really how how i feel about it totally and you know her saying because taught it's it's in the bible repeatedly about Mm -hmm. don't know his plan and those who claim to know his plan and his will are false Right. And so that's why that part rubbed me raw. But at the same time, I was kind of reconciling it with, but when you are faced with such doubt, with such evil, you got to cling on to anything. And right. especially with the fact that she was literally sent here and it has to be by the emperor. I don't know how else they could have gotten through the rift without the emperor just, you know, his light. Uh, these are the, his light or chaos. You could really make an argument for for either one. I would actually argue chaos. Like, to me, and this is what's kind of fun to me, is that to me it was, that was proof that she's a chaos being. Because she's on the Imperial Nihilist. They've basically won the Imperial Nihilist. I mean, obviously, no, there's still a lot of resistance in the Blood Angels. The Euro Trash Space Vampires are rampant over there. But, (laughs) rampant. If you, (laughs) yeah, with their chalices. When they, um, (laughs) <laughs> with your chalice of red wine there. Oh my god, um, it is. Ah. Uh, when they try to... They've got this being. Dude, of course you want her to be on the other side of the warp. And who better to open the rift for you than chaos? They'll just open the door for you. It's like opening the dog door. You can go out that way. And it could be that. Or it could be that she is sent by the emperor... And they are always looking for a way to twist things to bring her to, to their side. We don't know. And that's to me is part of the fun, no. fun with this. And I love that she's kind of labeled as a heretic saint because you can make so many arguments either way. You can! But if you look at her, but her intention is always towards the emperor. And of course you can argue, but the road to hell isn't paved with good intentions. And that's also doubly true. But until the emperor gets his ass up off the throne and speaks we're not going to know and all we do know is that she did a very good thing on severitas she saved all of those people well i go back and forth on it and she, i'll tell you why well uh, do you think an exterminatus would have been better but they didn't have any i i think they almost would have to though because remember when they talk oh, they're about going to have to grabbing- when he talks about grabbing all of the essence of all of them and basically killing the population or a lot of the population, the thing that I go back to is you remember in the beginning, they talk about how the sororitas talk about how, oh, we came here because we, uh, this was a very valuable target. And it turns out this is not a valuable target at all. This is stupid and lame and it doesn't have anything we need. They were and it's also led. All, they were also led there. So part of me was like, oh, man. And again, this is me putting on my conspiracy theorist cap, because Mm -hmm. is this just, is this chaos sending her to smite an overly confident worshiper? 
who thinks that he has everything or that he's doubted. Like, uh, is this basically them sending their own weapon to punish the unfaithful? Or do they think that this, their own weapon can show her the light or the warp and bring her over? Who knows? I mean, if Zinch is involved, the No, for God's sake, Zinch watched this whole book going, excellent. Right? This is all going to Zinch's plan, whether you realize it or not. It's all coming together. Right? I mean, even if if he loses, he wins. (laughs) Zinch is the definition of the Xanatos Gambit. (laughs) Right? Everything. Um, So let me ask you this then. What did you think of the epilogue? Because I won't, I'm not going to lie, the epilogue confused the shit out of me. Okay, well, I did have some very serious Space Odyssey 2001 vibes from the epilogue. Um, which is kind of making me giggle because I read Space Odyssey 2001 back when I was in high school, way before the aughts. And, um, and then I got to the end, I was like, what the was that so i watched the movie thinking the movie would clarify things no the answer is no i mean you know what back in the 90s i think we all did that like not to date ourselves too heavily but i think we all did that like everybody reads the book i got handed to it by one of my teachers who knew that i liked science fiction and he was like oh you should read this book it'll blow your mind and i got to the end and was like what and then you watch the movie and i guess by that point i was like okay i understand it but it's still what? At least I understood that one. I was confused by the end of this one, and I felt really dumb. But the only thing that made me feel better was my husband was like, "What?" Okay, I actually I did understand the the ending. Okay, well then here, let me tell you what I'm struggling with. Okay, tell you what I'm struggling with is that they escape the Imperium Nihilus. Yes. Right. They get out. She's having this horrible crisis of conscience where she's like, I'm just a heretic. I'm just a thing of the warp. It's terrible. It's awful. And then she, um, and then she meets her sisters and she gets this, no, I am the emperor's will. I am this. I am this. Oh, and look, these sisters accept me. We've left. We're going to leave now. Or they did leave. Mm -hmm. And the sisters have spoken for me and everything is great. And then the epilogue happens and she's like, oh, I'm just this corrupted warp thing and nobody likes me and I have nowhere to go. It felt to me... Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're not talking about the epilogue. The epilogue made sense to me. Let me make that clear. Yeah, you're talking about the... um, happening made sense. The timing of it made no sense to me. So you're... I think you're talking about... Are you talking about the... I'm very sorry, everyone, but I have to let my cat out because she's driving me insane. So are you talking about the morning war? Um, perhaps. Let me look at my book okay because the morning war so the end of the epilogue ends when when she faces the nothing so, so the morning war yes the okay. morning war i'm talking about okay i think yes. that is a separate short story because that's the only okay. thing that makes sense it's the only okay i understood everything that happened in it okay but it definitely happens before it happens before it, all of this it has to right it has to it doesn't make but, any sense And mainly also because I got the very, you know, right here where she's like trying to ask for his visions. This is going back to when the Astronomicon is out. Yes. And the problem that I have with it is that it ends with the book in the morning war now. 
it says now is the time. Right. But, so. But then when it jumps back to a year ago. Right. But a year ago would still be pre the events of the rest of the book. I believe I just because it has a whole different title. And if like, you and if you look in the table of contents, why would they do that? Because this is the collector's edition, right? But the story takes place. Yeah, if you look in the table of contents, it's a completely different entity from the rest of the book. So that's just a right. short story. That's just a short story, right? But what I'm getting at is that it says now. Well, so why would you? But why would you put that at the end of a book? That like why would you put that at the end of the book when you've gone through all of these other events? Why would you start with a short story or end it with a short story that says now? Um, just talking about okay. Well, that first of all, years ago. we we know Black Library doesn't plan things very well for for starters. Secondly, the Morning War short story was like an added bonus for getting this collector's edition. Okay. So cool. it's a bonus thing at the end. So I don't know when I originally published. And if Dan and Annadale, David Annadale wants to come back and say, oh, no, that was actually the true epilogue. Well, then you got some explaining to do, mister, because it doesn't fit in at all. Okay. Yeah, I understood the epilogue. The epilogue totally makes sense to me. It was the morning the war. That did not make any sense to me because we got to the end of it and we were like, what the fuck? Yeah, so okay. I took the morning ward to be like it literally right before the events of this, because when she's like, yeah, there's nothing more we can do here. Let's move on. And then where did they go? They go to Parastus and they go to that a place before Parastus. And then, so you know, where she meet and then because it's Parastus is where she meets the Inquisitor. So, right. Because right. as she says, she's oh. going to go burn all these worlds to find the oh. Emperor. That's what she My does. God. I just had a thought for the epilogue that bolsters my theory that she's a chaos creature. The Necrons really hate chaos. And the Necrons are effective, very effective at holding chaos back. So if she's going to confront the nothing... Which is them coming in to wipe out the pariah. Basically, it's the pariah gene. The or as David Andedel calls it, the pariah nexus, to basically just kind of burn out all psychic. Yeah, psychic awakening indeed. So, that totally makes sense for her to be a chaos creature. Well, I mean, Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Well, I mean, okay, so if we go back to the comic, she died by people of chaos. And somehow yes. she was reborn... And then that's when the sisters imparted their knowledge to her. Right. So maybe they saw what was happening and they were like, ooh. Anyways, I'm just saying. I mean. They, or maybe they're not really sisters. She. Maybe they just claimed to be. I mean, yeah, you could be born of chaos and you could. But at the same time, you also could be born of the emperor and look at Horus. All right. So it. It's what you're born of, but in a way, she's almost like the heretic saint and that it doesn't define who she is. She's choosing her own destiny, which is kind is of she? cool. I think. Is well, she? Are any of us? I mean, if we're going to get into that debate, I need another bottle of port here. But <laughs> right now. Yeah. This is Actually, a port from Georgia. 
Would you send me some? That'd be mm -hmm. lovely. Uh, no. Just like pass it on through the camera? Yeah, no, I have one bottle left and it's mine. Oh, sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, okay, that's a good point. But I just feel like that kind of bolstered my own argument here. I think the reason that I kept keep going to that too is that David Annandale is their best horror author right now. You don't tap your best horror author to write about a saint. Well, he even talks in the afterward about the monstrosity he sees in Ephraim's story. I was like, dude, you got problems. And then it reminded me. You're wonderful. I know, but then it reminded me how back in my uh, early, those aren't my later, no, it was my early romanticism class where I said, oh God, who was the guy? Might have been Wordsworth. I hated Wordsworth. Everybody hated Wordsworth. My teacher loved him. He wrote some really long, boring ass poem that was basically, I think it was kind of like his thing with Paradise Lost, but it wasn't Paradise Lost. And I got in this argument with my teacher and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you suggesting that Wordsworth is comparing himself to Satan? I went, yes. And he was like, that is messed up. But I like that. It's kind of how I feel about this. It is messed up, Mr. Annandale. That's pretty cool. I like it. I I like so much of it. Um, and it was, you know what? I will say, despite her, despite some of my complaints and despite her definitely feeling very much like a chaos vessel, it was such a nice change of pace after Fabulous Bill. Like, <laughs> from like one extreme to the other. <laughs> oh God, you guys, I was so ready for some Imperial stuff. And even though, don't trust people with sharpened teeth. I think that's just good advice, period. Yes, it's good advice in general, but that is quickly, like, I think I think we've discussed on this podcast, one of like the horror elements that I really hate is when people's or mouths are too big for their face. And that happens a lot in the chaos books where they mm -hmm. smile too big. Right. The, and it just keeps going. Yeah, it's fun. The sharpened teeth are becoming a trigger issue for me. Whenever I see somebody with sharpened teeth, I'm like, that person's bad. No, sharpened, sharpened teeth have always been ever since I read um, Great Expectations and they, f no, uh, David Copperfield because they filed down his teeth. That stuck always, with me. I always think of if you guys read uh, Storm of Swords, which is the third book in the Song of Ice and Fire series, I'm ugh, moving my shoulder because there's a character in there named Biter, who his what? teeth are filed down and he bites Sandra Clegane's shoulder. And of course it gets gnarly and infected because the human mouth is disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> and just, uh, like, <laughs> it's one of those scenes, like every now and then when you read a book, a scene will just stick with you. And um, that's one of them. So every now and then when I think of it, I'm like, mm -hmm. don't trust people with sharpened teeth. That's one reason why Life I... advice from Warhammer 40k book club. That's one reason why the Vorcha always creeped me out in Mass Effect. Oh, the, the sharpened Vorcha teeth. Yeah. And the Batarans, yeah. sharpened teeth. I'm sorry, you guys got fangs for teeth? I, I can't do it. Mm-mm. You can't be trusted. And guess what? The guy was an asshole. Mm -hmm. Weird. 
So, but we are moving from one extreme to another, I feel, as well, because we're going from Adeptus Sororitas to uh, Indominus. So, because we're giant colossal dorks, we both, <laughs> not only doing it the limited editions, we got the opposite versions of it. And this might be my new favorite limited edition because the cover. Oh my God, the cover. It's like, it, it's like it's etched in, or carved it's like, into it. And it yeah, feels so it's, good. It's carved, like the leather is actually, so everything you're seeing here is actually carved. It's not raised, it's carved. Into yeah, it. it's recessed and it's like even, super even cool. the even the uh little aquila here they're all just they're is it? oh yeah so oh that's awesome you can see the little aquila they're imprinted oh you can yeah for him it's his little uh the cables down oh, here how fun. And the yeah clip. yeah it's so and the come on actually that it is... smells really nice too oh it does mm -hmm. um that is really nice though on those that's just so do you also have my bookmark is green green <laughs> so cool so cool i you know what the black library that is one thing that i will never ever take away from the black library they know how to make a really nice collector's edition they really do so we will be reading this one though in this one unlike frl stern Andomitus is available um, via, I think there's the hardback is coming out like in a week, mm -hmm. um, or at least on Amazon, you'll be able to order it. It's available via ebook and it's available on Audible. So actually on the Black Library, on the Gates Workshop, they had the collectors and the hardback already available. I know Amazon's always like a week nice, after. Nice, nice. But, but yeah, so, and like, are there, is a Necron sold out yet? Cause it, cause the ultramarines no. sold out in a day, but the Necrons were available. I think they were. Yeah. Um, which you guys, the Necron is so nice and it's just cool looking. Check out what number that was. Let's get this in the camera. Ooh, nice. That just shows how quickly we were on top of that shit in Georgia. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh gosh. Actually mine is. Well, damn. Interesting. I know. Huh. But oh yeah, even on vacation we were sitting around yeah, so, like we need to order the thing. Yeah, got number five eighty-seven. Nice. Yes. And look, yeah. this is also says to my dear friend Carrie Gavthorpe. Does your say my dear friend Jen? No, mine actually says fuck yeah Necrons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool! I didn't realize like saw even the page. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I and on the back as well. I love how grumpy grumpy the Necrons look. <laughs> just my Egyptian space terminators are amazing. So what's your page look like? Uh same thing. The same thing. Okay. <laughs> For the cover. So I'm really excited to start reading this one. Um I know we both like Gab Thorpe, we both like the Ultramarines and Necrons, and it's a win win possibility here. I think so. I mean, I don't know what could go wrong. Wait, I shouldn't have said that. So, so I'm just going to close now before, take us out, before I like jam that foot any further down my throat. So thank you all so much. You've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Ephrael Stern, the Heretic Saint by David Annandale. Be sure to join us for our next book, Indominus by Gav Thorpe, and vote which book is better. Ultramarines or Necron? Green or blue? My question is obvious. 
Well, yes, it's the Ultramarines. <laughs> How many books do you own that are chartreuse? <laughs> okay, that's fair. None. How many, how many opportunities in everyday conversation do you get to use the word chartreuse? <laughs> uh, never, but, um, oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. If I ever start to sing the lyrics from Dave, from Joseph and Maisie Technicolor Dreamcoat, Chartreuse oh, is in the lyrics. That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not in high school anymore, so I don't listen to that soundtrack all the time. The Harlequins are so proud of you right now. They should They're be. Like, that's our favorite. Okay. I will defend that musical to the death. Well, who won't? Because the songs are... I'm not even religious, and those songs are super catchy. And My dad hated anyway. it. We went, I grew up with that soundtrack on vinyl. We went to it live when I was in high school, and my mom and I were just like, so great. We're so excited. So I've risen there singing along, and we're with my dad and two of their friends, their like family friends, who wanted to shoot themselves the entire time. Like at the intermission, they're like, can we go? And mom and I were like, no, we are not leaving. Oh my God. Well, I'm trying to think. We saw. Oh, man, there was a VHS version that was made, like, in the 80s, and I can't remember who... Oh, I can't remember who was in it. Is it Donnie? It, it was Donnie, but I can't remember who played Herod. Anyways, okay, that was that was my mom's jam. Okay, I have that because my aunt bought it for me when it was released on DVD. <laughs> I have it. That is some hokey-ass shit. So when I got to see the musical, it was actually uh, Donnie's nephew. And I have to say, those Mormon boys... Just a good-looking bunch. Yeah. 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 I grew up next to Utah. They breed them cute out there. Oh, my God. There was so many Mormons in my high school. All good-looking. And half of them were gay. Just figures. Anyway. Go figure. <laughs> so, be sure to join us for this book by Gav Tharp. My God, that was such a derailment. We are an unofficial <laughs> book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. I'm going to have to use this. And a giveaway at some point in time. <laughs> what podcast did we mention Chartreuse? <laughs> you can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com, WH40K Book Club. Our site also has articles about adventures in reading other Warhammer 40K books and short stories outside of the book club books, so please stay a while and read from a crack. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.
get you some chartreuse. <laughs> that may have to be our closing. <laughs> Just from now on, get you some chartreuse. <laughs> chartreuse.